Welcome to Virgin Territory, a podcast brought to you by SHIP. Each episode brings you new guests and new topics. We ask all the questions you are dying to know, from dating, sexual education and wellness, to kink, polyamory, and everything in between. Now please welcome your host, Vima Manfredo. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Virgin Territory. Um, I'm very excited today because um, we had wonderful dinner, but that's not why we're here. Uh, we are here to interview the wonderful Sydney. Hi, Sydney. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I good. am. Uh, <laughs> I guess this is where I introduce myself, right? That part? <laughs> yep. I was just going to ask you that, so go ahead. <laughs> So I am a non-monogamous sex educator. I also do copywriting. I'm kind of like a Jack and Jill of all trades, if you if you might say. Um, I actually just this, or Monday. Oh my God, I can't believe Valentine's Day was on Monday. Uh, <laughs> on Monday, I actually went live with the dating app Her. And that was like my first big brand collaboration. So that was exciting. Um, I was talking about intimacy with them. And uh, I also like talking about media representation and how that intersects with sexuality. And then another big topic that I love talking about is survivorship and non-monogamy and holding space for survivors who are non-monogamous because so often uh, non-monogamous education tends to silo those with relationship-based traumas. And so I think it's really important to make space for that. Oh, and then besides that, I just like things like, uh, I like intuitive things like um, tarot and, and uh, what's it called? And oracle readings. Um, <laughs> and I also like to cook in my free time. Ooh, I, I like the cooking part, that's for sure. Um, so before we get into the actual questions, I, I have to ask because I don't know much about it, but what's the difference between tarot and oracle? So tarot is actually a Romani tradition, and I feel like that's very important to name. Um, every time that I've done like a private party where people ask that question, um, I also say that tarot is also a, it, it, there's more of a structure to it, and there's 78 cards, whereas Oracle, it can be whatever X amount of cards there are, and it's more up to interpretation, whereas there's more uh, associated meaning with tarot cards typically nice thank thank you for the information um i know that we're going to talk about but i was so curious um so what got you involved into the sex education field so actually after i went through a horrible title nine process um i for those who don't know what title nine is it is uh it's basically in a not amendment it's not an amendment, but it's a law that was um, amended uh, so that there's not necessarily gender-based discrimination, but also gender-based violence happening in schools. It's supposed to support survivors, but um, in reality, it doesn't actually do that. <laughs> so after that horrible experience of going through a whole Title IX process and like trying to find a way to heal, I. I actually jumped into sex education at the beginning of the pandemic. So like, oh my God, almost two years ago. Has it been? Oh my God, it's been that it's long. It's been two years. It's been too um, long. <laughs> so in March, 2020, I jumped into it because 
I wanted to find answers for myself and also find a place of empowerment. And I realized that by holding spaces for other people and then showing them, hey, here are things that I do that help me heal to an extent. Um, I first started in survivorship work, but it's not necessarily the main thing that I do anymore. Um, but yeah, that's what got me into sex education. And I really like took it, by, took the bull by its horns. I think that's like the idiom or expression and phrase took the bull by its horns and kind of like went with it. And for a while was doing survivorship work, but now I do non-monogamy and work within polyamory because that speaks to my heart more. Like as much as I love survivorship work and I think it's so important it's really draining, especially as someone who's, who like, okay, you're talking about these things that are kind of re-traumatizing because they're your own experience. Um, so I decided to, to pursue non-monogamy work because it just makes my heart more fulfilled and I get more excited about it. And as I started to explore non-monogamy, personally in therapy with my therapist, I realized, oh, wait, this is work that I want to do. <laughs> and now I get to do that work within sex ed and get to deconstruct media and all these different things and also just hold space for people as well. I mean, I still hold space for the people. Right. That that makes a lot of sense. And, and making sure that you're doing what you're passionate about in a way that is honoring what where you come from, but also giving you enough where you're not um, hurting over and over again makes a lot of sense. So it it moving into polyamory, then you have that that renewed passion and that renewed fire in your heart where you're like, I want everybody to know about this. Yeah, exactly. And like there's also just not a lot of polyam there's like very few polyamorous Asians on the internet besides me. Like Michelle High, a polyamorous low is Asian, Jada and I think maybe one other person that I know of that are like out about their polyamory that are like bigger educators or who have more like a reach with people. Right. But yeah, it's just, and I, also I thought that part was important to like show that. Yeah. It's so important in a very general sense of having a representation that is not mainstream that is more of the global majority um of of black indigenous and people of color in general in all spaces but especially in polyamory because we have this knowledge or this um background of what our cultures have done or have taught us and sometimes we do have to shift away from from that culture but sometimes it's honoring our cultures before colonization or before influences that change where we were going exactly exactly and like i think that's really important and also it's a reason why i do it and talk about it because again not many spaces to talk about non-monogamy within a the mainstream and b if you're going to be in a community of color people are definitely not talking about that especially if you grew up catholic like me <laughs> yes <laughs> That's definitely true. Um, I also grew up Catholic, so I, I, I feel your pain there. Um, so talking a little bit more about uh, your identity as a polyamorous person and as a South Asian person, um, how do you feel that view is welcome in, in, your, in your circles? 
so okay for clarification i'm east asian um, i'm sorry my, and my family is from china slash hong kong my mom actually like came over at age five um but i feel like i grew up chinese catholic so like um Anything that wasn't Manali was definitely not talked about within like the spaces that I grew up within. And like my family is definitely very monogamous focused, which is great because like, hey, monogamy works for you. I'm not going to like, you know, slap your knee or something. But like there, there's definitely ways beyond monogamy that I wish I knew that when I was younger. But um, I think that sometimes it's isolating being east asian and polyamorous because there's again not a lot of people especially the folks that i grew up around and then adding on to that i'm also a bisexual person so that can be really misunderstood so it's like the polyamory and the bisexuality the stereotypes around that it's like oh so you just want to be a slut no i just love a lot of people and i can't help it um and i think a lot of it I think a lot of my life I was closeted about it because a I didn't I mean I grew up in a Chinese Catholic household so you're not gonna really see anyone gay um I didn't really meet a gay person until I was in sixth grade and transferred schools from uh from like a public school in New Jersey to a private Quaker school in Philly so that was like the first time that I met a gay person and it was a white like this person was a white gay person. So even then I didn't see myself represented. Um, but the funny thing is that like Chinese cultures and the Asian cultures and also Asian cultures across the board, like there's always been queerness and there's always been people of different gender identities that are not cis women and not cis men, but because of like imperialism and colonization, I didn't get to learn that history. Like I just learned, oh, this is what my people did. And they did the laundry in the 1800s and that's like it. Whereas like there's this deep history, but you don't get to learn about that. If you go to a white school with a white schooling system where you're just taught white people history, it's like you have to go find it yourself and um finding even elders to talk about queerness it's I feel like it's hard because of uh intergenerational trauma so like my family in particular they escaped from the cultural revolution so they don't really talk about their feelings nor like desires because they just had to survive when they got to this country um so I feel like a lot of that was muted and suppressed for myself throughout most of my life until I got to college and then when I got to college, I kind of went wild. <laughs> <laughs> lived lived the college experience, and in in doing so, learned a lot about yourself. Yeah, and like that was the first time that I really found queer community that looked like me. Um, I was in a woman of color and non-binary people of color arts collective and sisterhood for all four years of my undergrad, and it was absolutely the best thing that I I mean I was I also went to uh undergraduate in New England so like it's really white so like to be around an intentional space with other people of color particularly femmes of color that really had a positive impact 
on me and like that's when I really got to know myself and finally realized that no this bisexuality thing that I've been questioning since eighth grade this is real that's me and then all these other things started to unfold obviously after college and after I realized oh wait I can be all these things I don't have to force myself to be what what I've been told my entire life is the right thing or whatever (laughs) right yeah that's in in that is so important to know, have that space to explore and understand your feelings, because if you don't have the language, if you don't have the examples of uh, what a bisexual person may look like or what is a polyamorous person, how are they structuring their relationship? If you don't have at least one example of, of each one of those, then you don't know how to channel those gray feelings inside your brain into something that is more tangible. Um, I I definitely understand the the trying to have those feelings of being bisexual without knowing what it is as in a young age. In my childhood, I guess, or teenagehood, um, I think that's a word. Um, I thought that everybody was attracted to men and women. I had no concept of what was anything outside of, of the binary. So in my mind, everybody was attracted to men and women. They just always chose the opposite gender because that's why, that's how families are made. Um, so that was like my tiny little me thought until I learned like, no, that's that's not how it is. And that with that came the shame of like, oh, I'm broken because I'm thinking like that and it didn't take it took until I was past college um to for me to really understand what it meant to be bisexual and that it wasn't that my brain was broken is that that's my orientation and it's as valid as any other one on, on the alphabet yeah like for me I just thought that I was like when I was younger I thought that I was looking at uh, people perceived as women because I was jealous of them. And then I later realized like maybe earlier this year or like earlier or like late last year, like, oh, wait, that was actually me checking out people because I was attracted to them. But also I may have also been jealous of them at the same time. Yeah, it, it could be both. Why not both? Um, yeah, I can definitely understand that. It's just like, do do I do I want to be her or do I want to be with her? Um, turns out that it could be either or both at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and then like recently in the last couple of years, I realized, oh, I'm really sapphic and I'm attracted to anyone as long as they're not a cis man for the most part. But and then but then you go through like fluctuations of like oh yeah, sometimes you're more like inclined towards this one particular gender or another particular gender. And it's like, oh, okay. So it's just like fluid. And then I started calling myself queer because A, A, I don't have to explain to my straight relatives. They just know that I'm not straight. And B, because I feel like sometimes bisexuality feels like I'm in a box, even though I know that it's not meant to be in a box, but it's sometimes because of society and media's perception of bisexuality I feel like I'm in a box and I'm like you know what queer fits because I'm very fluid with like like 
who I like and who I love, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so going back to to coming out to family, um, what would be your recommendation for someone that is coming out to their family about being polyamorous versus being a sexual orientation that is not straight versus a gender that is not cis? Oh, okay. So I guess for polyamory, so I came out to my mom like, it was like late last year and it was in a therapy session. So if you don't have the most supportive parents and your therapist is open to like being the mediator, the buffer in this situation and doing some emotional labor, I definitely recommend that because it made me more comfortable where, okay, I don't have to explain all this. My therapist is here and she's going to support me. Um, <laughs> So for me, when that happened, I think my mom was just confused. I still think she's a little bit confused about like, oh, what is this polyamorous thing? Like, um, I don't necessarily get it. But to the rest of my family, I haven't necessarily came out. But also, like, I have a public Instagram account. <laughs> I'm sure my family has found it. We just don't talk about it. And that's that. So I guess, like, in a way, I have come out to them. But they just don't like to talk about it because they're like, oh, we're just going to convince ourselves that Sydney's still monogamous, which I'm like, that's fine. You you can do that. If that helps you, you do that. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it would be helpful if we had more positive media representation of what polyamorous uh, arrangements look like and what a polyamorous person looks like as well. Yeah, it definitely would help. And like, because recently that show you, someone told, I, I saw a clip on TikTok and I was like, oh God, who's in the writer's room? They don't even know the difference between swinging and polyamory and that they're actually not the same, but they're both forms of non-monogamy. Yeah, that that's a, another one that I guess we can, we can dig a little bit into what is the difference between swinging and polyamory? So swinging, to my understanding, is like group sex with like couples switching, usually couples switching with each other and like having sex with each other's partners. Whereas polyamory, to my understanding and my experiences, is that you love multiple people at the same time. You're in multiple relationships. Um, and also with swinging, it's not necessarily romantic relationships my understanding from people who have swung or still swing and also some polyamorous people swing as i found out yeah um so we just have recorded an episode of for you listeners is the episode right before this one um which don't ask me what date it was published because you know we're recording this months in advance um but one of the uh, things that we talked in that other episode was the difference, the same difference of swinging versus polyamory. And, and you hit it on the head of like swinging concentrates more on a sexual relationship uh, with either other couples or other singles. Um, doesn't have to be a couple, but it's, it's more of a sexual relationship. So friends with benefits kind of thing will fall into there sometimes um and sometimes with strangers um and there is the the swappy thing or groups or sometimes solo um and then on the polyamory part is like you said uh that 
romantic connection with other partners, whether or not there is a sexual component. And having those two different definitions means that they're not mutually exclusive. You can swing with some folks and you can polyamory with some other folks or with the same ones. Why not? Mm -hmm. And then coming out about bisexuality, um, in my experiences with coming out with bisexuality, my parents who are, who are Catholic, to preface this, still don't understand. They like, uh, it's funny that my grandparents actually understand bisexuality more than my parents, because you wouldn't expect that necessarily. Because one time or a couple times, actually, both sets of my grandparents were like, oh, we don't care if you marry a man or a woman, like, just like bring us home somewhere. <laughs> Which I'm like, okay, cool. I guess. Okay. Um, and I remember coming out to them. When was it? Maybe it was junior year of college or sophomore summer. And they were like, so then do you like men or woman? Like, do you like men or woman? Are you straight? Because you mostly date men. And I'm like, no, I'm not straight. Just because most of my partners have been cis men. Um, and I think that's a common misconception that happens with a lot of families that like, oh, because the media portrays it this way, this is how bisexual people must be. Um, and I think for coming out, it's also depends on your own comfort level, because sometimes it's just not safe to come out and that's okay. It's okay not to come out. You don't have to, if you don't want to. And like, I think the first person that I actually came out to was an extended family member who's like a second cousin, something like that. She's like a second cousin. And I knew that she was queer. So I was like, okay, this is a safe person to come out to. She'll get it. Um, so I came out to her and I think her partner was there too. And like, it was a really supportive moment. So like, if you have queer family members, Feel free to come out to them. I'm sure we'll be equally supportive. Um, more so than like straight family members who just might not get it. Because to this day, I've tried to explain bisexuality to my mom in particular. And she's like, so because you're with a man and you brought home a dude, you're straight. And I'm like, no, mom, that's not how that works. But uh, good, good, good thoughts for uh, thinking that. Um, <laughs> like good try good try I know where you're coming from but also like no that's, that's not how that works mom. Um, A for effort <laughs> A for effort but also like eh, that's not how that works mom sorry sorry to break it to you um, and I think it's not linear either because I feel like I come out to my parents even though I've come out a long time ago I feel like I still come out I don't know. I would have to like remind them like, hey, your kid is bisexual, just so you know. Right. I, and that's the thing with, with being bisexual or pansexual or um, any of those that fall under that umbrella where it's a constant coming out because people will assume you're either gay because you're in a, in a perceived same gender relationship um, or they're assumed that you're straight because you're in a perceived different gender 
relationship and they forget that your orientation is not just the person that you're with at that moment. It, your orientation is throughout your life from the be, be, birth. I, I can say that word from birth to death. Um, it'll stick with you for, for the rest of your life. What I, whoever you choose as your partner or partners do not define what your orientation is. It's what you define it as. People need to take you at your word. But for people under the bisexual umbrella, it's a constant coming out of reminding people, no, I'm not gay. No, I'm not a lesbian. No, I'm not straight. I'm still bi. The fact that my current partner is like this or my current partners look exactly like this it could just mean that i have a type not necessarily yeah. orientation <laughs> yeah that's like and so my anchor partnership i have an anchor partnership with a cis man so i know <laughs> even though i'm a gender queer non-binary femme i get read as oh i'm a straight woman even though i'm not even a woman <laughs> and and also it's a privilege to be read that way and to be read as a cis couple, even though, <laughs> even though I'm not cis or heterosexual, like it's definitely a privilege, but it's also like, at the same time, it's like oh, trying to explain to people and people are like, what? Like, we don't get it. I'm like, yeah, because people <laughs> of all different genders and all different sexual orientations, like there's not one way that people look if they're bisexual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my partner and I are the perfect example. We look like a heterosexual cis couple. Um, and in terms of our gender roles, a lot of people assume what our gender roles are, even though that's not necessarily true. And we're not a straight couple because I'm not straight. So we can't um, assume that we're a straight couple just because we're in a different gender relationship we're a queer couple because there's a queer person in the at least one queer person in the relationship yeah and also for like coming out gender wise um again if it's safe to come out go for it folks but i know that sometimes especially in families of color who don't necessarily understand gender as a spectrum or as a rainbow wheel or whatnot, like it's not necessarily the safest thing to do, but um, I personally came out to my mom as non-binary in a therapy session, which was helpful because my therapist was there and could, could, could explain to my mom what this means. Um, but that's not always the case because it, you just have to get lucky with all these different things. Like it's a matter of luck too, which is, so fucked up to like think about but like oh that matters if you're like gonna come out to someone and also like mentally preparing yourself I feel like overall with any coming out like okay there there's there's things that could go xyz way we can't right. necessarily bank on one way or the other yeah and I think it's very important one thing that you said make sure that you're safe first um and you have um a structure of, of of a safety net of some sort e either if it's a safety net that you build because you are now independent or because you know that you have other family members that support you um but making sure that you it, you understand if 
this family member cuts you off, it's not going to put you in danger. And if you need to separate yourself from them because they can become violent, which could be a real thing, then you also have a, a, a place that you can go away and uh, to a spot that is safer. Um, so that's something very important, especially like you said, in, in families of, of color, where our our families can be very strict about your gender roles, about your gender, about your sexual orientation. Um, even though that it, it makes no sense, but that's how we how it is right now. Um, so another another topic that I wanted to explore with you, since we're talking about gender um, and you coming out as non-binary, it's how can we explain or explore gender identities within other cultures? Ooh. I think really like looking back and going back to your own culture. But also that includes digging through history, right? But also like now with like uh, Instagram and all these accounts, you get to see more of your history or histories that aren't typically taught in schools like posted online, which is the beautiful thing about social media, even though there's a lot of negatives about social media, to be honest. Um, I think exploring that and going back to the roots of like, all like the cultures that you're a part of is really powerful. I think it's helpful. Um, I think just also knowing the fact that there have been queer ancestors before you is also a really powerful thing. And if you're spiritual, incorporating spirituality into like your gender journey and reconnecting with ancestors because I'm sure I'm pretty sure that even though there's like oral history of my ancestors that there's definitely queer ancestors somewhere in my lineage they may have not been out that might have not been safe but like every culture like 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 throughout like every land or whatnot every culture like there's definitely always been queer people so you definitely probably have had a queer ancestor in your lineage and like looking back to that and really reconnecting with the root, your roots there i think is really helpful and i think it's helped me too yeah absolutely and, and understanding where our culture was prior to colonization and imperialism like you, we mentioned before and seeing how that original part of our culture dealt with gender and, and had different gender roles or different rules for gender that are completely different in the binary that we that is mainstream now. Um, and understanding how they related to each other as a community outside of, of that change that colonization brought into into the world mm -hmm. is important in having that connection to our our deepest roots is is very powerful yeah definitely i agree on all those points <laughs> um so after you coming out as as polyamorous to your family and and living um with your anchor partner um, and all that, how have your views on marriage changed during this journey? I think, okay, so originally when I was trying to figure out if I was non-monogamous slash polyamorous, 
it was after a long-term relationship and a breakup that I had like three-ish years ago, almost three years ago. It'll be three years ago in August. Um, and uh, I think at first that I like realized I was like, fuck marriage, fuck weddings, because that's what had hurt me. Like having this vision of like a big wedding like three years ago when I thought that I was going to get married to this one person. So I was like, fuck all this at first. But I think throughout learning and getting more in touch with all parts of myself, including my polyamory and gender, I think I've come to the point where I'm like, okay, you know what? Like a party would be great. Like I'm, I'm not going to turn down a party ever. I mean, who does? Great right. food and music. <laughs> uh, count me in and you get to wear pretty things. Yay. Um and I think I have a much more like not folded, um, fuller view on like marriage and weddings than I did three years ago. Cause I felt like that view was very like binary <laughs> and also just very like, oh yes, this is the right thing to do because this is what my parents tell me to do. And this is what society has told me to do. Whereas like, okay, I want to get married because this is what I, what I want to do. But also, I don't like that the government's involved with this, but also, like, uh, tax breaks are nice, and uh, <laughs> healthcare is nice, so, like, that's cool. But I don't think that it needs to be this, like, oh, you need to find the one thing, and, like, this person's going to be the one. Like, I really hate that aspect of the wedding industry and of, of this idea of marriage and what it should be versus just, like, customize it to, like, what works for you and what doesn't work for you like no weddings and marriage I'm like okay cool a big party like that's cool I like that but also like a smaller elopement ceremony also sounds cool where I'm like okay not so much in the public eye but also like you get to have like little intimate moments and it's cute and you get to hang with your friends like that's cool but also I still want to party because who doesn't like gifts am I right <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I think I I resonate a lot with what you're saying. And all I can do while you're talking is just say yes and yes, because I, I feel so much of what you're saying um, of that same journey of marriage used to be what my parents told me marriage was, where you find a man. As I was socialized as a woman, so I you have to find a man and marry him and be at his beck and call and be his everything because if not he'll leave you for another one um so having to deconstruct that part of the the teachings of of my youth which is a weird way to say it um but having to get rid of that feeling but still understand if i want a marriage and a partnership what do i want it to do um and what do i want and i mean not only me but also my partner how do we want that marriage to look like and have that opportunity to design it? Like you said, it is what we make it to be. It's, and also the tax, the tax things, it's very useful. Um, but you get to design, if we want to be monogamous, we can. If we want to be polyamorous, we can. If we want to be swingers, we can. Because it is between my partner and I, and we decide how we want to construct that life. Yeah, and I think that something that 
what so I grew up Catholic like I said in the beginning and so I was always taught marriage is like the end goal of relationships and when I started exploring non-monogamy I realized wait marriage is not the end goal of every relationship and that's okay and also marriage can be a goal within a relationship and that's also okay like I can have both and I can have my cake and eat it too um but I think that like yeah I grew up with this whole version of like oh it needs to be this one way you need to get married in a white dress and a church and all these things and I think that now I have a have a better view of it because I've been through a lot within within the time that I heard that as like an eight-year-old to to now being 24 almost turning 25 this year where I'm like okay actually this is what I want and also I can have this and also I can have my polycule at my wedding party we just won't necessarily be out to my parents but that's okay they'll just my parents will just think they're really close friends. They're just <laughs> close friends. Right. Yeah, it, it is It is what you make of it. And, and whatever rules, regulations, and decisions you make in your marriage, they're, they're yours to make, um, even including not to get married. But like you said, not every relationship needs to have that escalation of like, first we are friends and then we are dating and then we are engaged, married, children, and then die. Um, we don't have to follow that that staircase of, of relationship. You can have relationships that are like comets where they pass by you and you interact with them for a week, a weekend, a couple of months, and you part ways in a very amicable way. And that doesn't mean that relationship was a failure because it was a short-term relationship. It could be one of the best relationships you had, even though it, it lasted a month, because you had a connection that changed something in you, you learned something about yourself, about the other person, you had that interaction, and you parted ways in a friendly way, or at least in, in a non negative way. Yeah, and also like, something that I think about is, <laughs> Actually, it's something that my grandparents, the, the ones who aren't Catholic, this is even funnier. It makes it even funnier. Um, when I was 20, my grandfather was like, so like, when are you getting married? And I'm just like, grandfather, I'm still in school. I don't know what you want me to do. I want to finish this education. Like, I want to finish my degree. Like, I'm, I, I don't want to get married right now. And then like, recently I think recently my grandfather before he met my anchor partner was asking me when am I going to get married and I'm like I am almost I'm only 25 like you can slow your roll sir <laughs> there um, is no hurry there's no hurry but I think in their era like it was common to get married at like 18 20 whatever um, both of my grandparents, both of my grandmothers got married at like 21, 22, something like that. So like, obviously it was more of a thing when they were like younger or in that whole 1960s, 1950s era, whereas today it's like less common to get married at 22. I mean, maybe in some places that are like, like not like necessarily in a big city, but, um, 
in other places, I know that it's more common to get married at that age, but <laughs> my parents have always told me like, oh, just wait till you get a job and all these things. And so I've always had that instilled in me and like seen their relationship structures instilled and like also realized at the same time, I'm like, that's not how I want a relationship to go. <laughs> this is This is not how I want a partner to treat me or like, yeah. So it's just interesting to see all the different relationships in my family and like with my, with my, with my like grandparents and all, because they got married really young. And also like with every family of color, I feel like there's secrets. <laughs> like I think of Encanto and how they, how there's that one song we don't talk about Bruno and how <laughs> like that encapsulates every families of family of colors secrets like oh god yeah all the secrets that you you just don't talk about you just yep. don't talk about and we know that we don't talk about that but we know that there's things yeah it's uh the the skeleton closet of a, of a family of color is uh, a boneyard because they have so many skeletons um and those are those are fun to discover years later um especially if you have a uh, not a very close relationship with some family members and then suddenly you discover all the tea of your family and you go like yeah. what what is this why did i not know before why do yeah. you know bruno yeah exactly and like i think as i've gotten older my mom has told me more skeletons in the closet and i'm just like uh because um so this is obviously not a skeleton in the closet. And like my whole family, everyone knows that like my grandfather on my, my dad's dad had a first wife, but she passed. And so like, we have this whole other side of the family who lives in New York. And like, I'm kind of close with them because like those cousins are closer to me in age and like, they have a kid and I, I like visiting them when I'm in New York sometimes. And, but like, like three years ago I learned that um that's not the case for every family member on how they feel about those family members <laughs> no definitely not um uh so background my father has been married three times that he remembers and that's the key part that he remembers uh-huh yeah uh, so it's uh I can definitely understand that um so before we get into the tea of our families, because that wasn't the, the topic that we wanted to explore, um, we are coming up at the end of the episode. So I want to thank you for coming uh, to, I was going to say Tech Talk. This is not a Tech Talk. This is a podcast. Thank you for coming to our podcast. But before you go, um, is there any promotions or any if you want to promote your social media or any works that you have coming up in the summer because this episode may take a couple of months to come out um so you can follow me at sexy soup dumplings um that's literally my handle for all sex ed stuff i do have workshops available on coffee they're all replays so you can download them the most expensive one is 25 dollars in the shop right now and the least expensive is five dollars and pay what you can from there with a minimum of five dollars um you can also join my close friends list which is also on coffee um i 
I'm sure by summer I'll have more one-on-one -on -one peer support sessions open for those who want to talk about non-monogamy and polyamory. Um, what else? That's all I can think of right now. Sounds good. Um, if you remember any other website, just let us know. We'll put it in the notes. Um, and as always to our listeners, don't be trying to write your uh, the username um, of Sydney while you're driving. We'll put it in the show notes so you can find it later when you're safe. Um, so I just want to remind you all to do that. Uh, but you have the best handle I've ever heard, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I renamed actually with my queer platonic partner. They helped me rename it because I was like to my partner, I was like, I'm bored of this username of my name just being the username. Can you help me change it to something else? So they were like, well, what do you like? Um, and I was like, well, I like soup dumplings. So can we do something with that? And then we thought that it would just be funny to put the word sexy in front of it because it just makes it funny. <laughs> I, I love it. So sexy food, um, sexy soup dumpling. Um, don't make me talk too fast. We know what happens. Uh, but sexy food soup dumplings. <laughs> I, 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 I'm okay. <laughs> On Instagram and all the all the other social media, you can find Sydney. Um, Sydney, thank you so much for coming uh, and talking to us in my very scattered brain today that cannot pronounce any words. <laughs> thank you for talking to me with my scattered brain. I was like, I'm trying to put words together and whatnot. And yeah, I hope that there's some nuggets of wisdom somewhere in here. I'm sure there are in my like little cobbled, cobbled brain today. <laughs>